Today's episode of Talking with TK is presented by The Cabinet House. For affordable excellence in kitchens, bathrooms and wardrobes, head over to www.thecabinethouse.com.au. Welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell, episode 63, and we're going to be featuring one of my favorite all-time surfers in Luke Egan. Now, Luke, while he didn't win a world championship, his competitiveness, his style, just made him one of the fan favorites out there. When you look at his record, 22 years on tour, he had two runners-up, four world titles, sorry, four world tour wins, and he finished in the top five, five times. Away from the surf, he's also a great coach and commentator, and he's just an all-round nice guy. What we did, we sat down a couple of weeks ago, it was in Kaiama, and it was during the Junior World Championships, which which was actually some fantastic watching as well. But in the chat, we speak a whole range of topics, from his urge to continue surfing. Luke actually surfs every day. He had an interesting discussion with Andrew Johns about post-retirement and how a surfer and rugby league player are different and the advantages coming from that surfing background. We have a look at his background and how he got into the surf. His family was had a, a surf shop, so it was a bit of a natural progression. And we also chat about the Merriweather Surf Club and the advantages of Australian surfing, as well as growing up, as I did say, in Hamilton South and finding that love of surfing as well. Luke tells us about his competition at junior level and also how he finished second at his first event. He also describes the thrill of competing against local legend Mark Richards while he was the world champion. He talks about deciding to have a crack at being a professional at the young age of 16, his loyalty to Billabong and Gordon Merchant, and also, he talks us through his style. It's a very unique style, his goofy foot. At the same time, Luke's got a very big frame compared to other surfers. So he talks about the advantages and where that actually fits in to his surfing. We chat about competing against the likes of Kelly Slater and his aura on tour and how he handled coming second and the differences between the second when he finished to Sonny Garcia and the second when he finished to Andy Irons. He also pays tribute to Andy so it's a great chat. So if you love your surfing or if you love just generally, you know, awesome Aussie surfers or superstar athletes, please tell your family and friends about our episode with Luke. I think everyone's going to enjoy this one. So please get in touch if you if or connect with me on my social media. I'm at Talking with TK across my Twitter, Facebook, or you can find me on my Instagram at Tristan Nell. If you haven't yet, if this is your first time to the show, you can subscribe for free via iTunes, Stitcher, or Overcast. Or if you've got an Android, probably the easiest way to access the show is online, www.talkingwithtk.com. If you do have a moment and you've got access to iTunes, if you could please leave me a review, that would be much appreciated. All you've got to do is just search Talking With TK. My podcast will come up. There's a review section, and then you can just click that and just leave a review. Now, the last episode, I actually kept it off air. I had former cricketer 
Michael Bevan on the show. Unfortunately, my headset broke in the lead up a couple minutes before the actual show. So the actual audio quality isn't the best, but what I did is I transcribed the entire interview and I've put it online at www.talkingwithtk.com slash Bevan, or you'll find it on the homepage. But yeah, it was a great chat. It went for about 40 minutes, so got plenty of nice stories and insights into his career and life. So like I said, I probably won't bring it out on audio unless you guys really, really want to hear it. So that was, if you're looking at the two different sort of the skip between 61 and 63, obviously 61 was Ryan Hipwood, but 62 is Michael Bevan, and you can access that at www.talkingwithtk.com slash Bevan. Now, like I did mention, today's show was actually recorded outside in Kaiema. So probably halfway through the episode, you're going to hear a little bit of noise distraction. But please hang in there. It's only from it's only a couple seconds from time to time. This is a great chat with Luke, and he shares some fantastic stories. So I'm really pleased to bring it to you, and I introduce Luke Egan. Hi guys, my special guest is Luke Egan. Luke is one of Australia's greatest surfers who was on the tour for 22 years. He won four World Tour events. One year he was runners-up, and he also had top five five times. Away from the sport, he worked at Billabong for over 20 years, while he also transitioned into high-level coaching for the likes of Joel Parkinson, TV commentary, and also entrepreneurship. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks. Absolute pleasure, mate. Obviously, we're sitting here in beautiful Kiama, and you're here for the Junior World Championships. Does it, you know, you've just come out of the surf, you know, but you haven't competed for a number of years now. Do you still get that, you know what I mean? Like when you go to the, just that edge to want to surf when you wake up, man. Post-career, how does that all work out for you, Luke? Uh, in surfing, we're very lucky because I can still wake up in the morning, grab a surfboard and go out at any beach and um, visualise that I am competing yeah. and get that release. It's not like I need a whole field and a team and a... It's all this coordination. I can go out there by myself and just surf as hard as I would or, you know, try and catch as many waves or um, try and keep my performance level as high as when I was in the on the World Tour. Yeah. Obviously not uh, surfing at that level anymore, but, yeah, it is, it is a release that, that we're lucky as, as retired professional surfers we can get. Mm. I actually read an article the other day and it was Joey Johns telling you about retirement and how he... Like, he's envious of you because you can still do a lot of the things that you did during competition. Joey was one of the ones that actually brought it to my attention. He, uh, one day, and he loves surfing, and he's great friends with a friend of mine, Matthew Hoy, and uh, he was just, we're just talking, and, and he's just like, oh, I just wish I could do the same as what you guys can do in surfing and just paddle out and, and push the levels of your performance in a rugby league environment mm. and I was just like wow I hadn't thought of that yet it actually made me really appreciate it and uh, and probably made me push a little harder when I do um, go surfing even you know I'm at the tender age of um, like 49 in, in about a week and uh, I still feel after so many years of striding to be my best as a surfer I still need to do that when I first retired I uh, 
I took about 12, 24 months of not training that much yep. and just cruising. It's probably the worst I ever felt. So I had to get back into training and surfing as if I was going to show up at, a, at an event and, and try and keep my level as high as I could and life went back to normal. Yeah. How many days a week do you still surf now? Every day. Yeah? Yeah. You know, can surf pending and, and work pending. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's uh, family, surfing and work yeah. in that order so <laughs> you got a little girl out too how is she yeah we have uh jessica and i have a little girl isabella and she'll be five in april wow did you ever think because is that your only child that you had yes yeah. yes did you think fatherhood was going to be because how old were you when you had your little girl 40 yeah 46 yeah 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 so yeah we're well, there no sorry yeah 44 you're right yeah yeah did you did you think uh, it was something that just wasn't going to happen in your life I I did have times that yeah. I thought and, um, you know, earlier relationships and earlier uh, walks of life just didn't happen. Mm. And it was something I did start to worry about because I really did want to become a father and yeah. experience that side of life. But, uh, yeah, when my wife and I, Jessica, met, that was, you know, we... we Became great friends, and and uh, and that was one of the first things that we both were well, probably both at that time that were like, yeah, we want to have a family. It was one of the decisions of, of you know that we made together. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to get the little one into the, the water? Yeah, she loves it. But uh, look, I whatever she wants to do. Yeah. You know, I was lucky enough to be given the path by my parents not to be pushed into anything really. And my dad was a surfboard shaper. He still is. He's 74 and he's wow. been shaping for about 54, 55 years now. Yeah. And uh, we had, you know, we used to own the local surf shop in Newcastle. And But I was never pushed that, you know, you're going to be a competitive surfer. You're going to surf. Yeah. Rah, rah, rah. That was never pushed in my, um, in my way. <laughs> Becoming a professional surfer was... <laughs> I was about the time when I had to leave school and make some decisions. Was I going to study? Was I going to get a job? Or was I going to make something of surfing? It was pretty much about the only time my dad really put his foot down, sat me down at the table and went, all right, you've got some decisions to make here. And he got to make them pretty quick. How you know? old were you, 16? Yeah, I was about 16. And it was like, you, you're good enough. You yeah. can do it. But you've got to start really getting serious about it and, um, and turn it into a business and turn it into... Uh, a way of making your living um, and you know for all the obvious reasons of you know you just had to start working hard at a career whether I probably would have become a mechanic or something I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely car mad have been all my life so I've seen a couple of things on your Instagram actually about the, yeah. the old cars yeah I love cars it doesn't matter I love motorsport too so I have ever since I was a kid I was uh, brought up in a suburb at the back of Merriweather called Hamilton South and um, very ethnic area, a lot of Italians, a lot of my best mates were Italians yeah. when I was kids and we're all into muscle cars and we're all saving up like crazy to own muscle cars as a, as a young age. All through my 20s I had uh, oh, all sorts of muscle cars at that stage and yeah. um, buying and selling, modifying. Thank God Jess is now fronting up the V8. You get access to all the pictures <laughs> and stuff, yeah? Oh, it's unbelievable. It's just... Uh, I was already a mad fan of uh, V8 supercars yeah. and reading about them and was sitting there, you know, probably missed one or two Bathurst in my whole life, sitting there all day watching Bathurst and travelling up there and watching it. So for your wife to be coming home and go, guess what, darling, 
I'm working on the various supercars. It was just like, <laughs> yeah, okay, this is great. Best day ever. Wow, this is awesome. Yeah. Take me back to the start a little bit because you're originally, like you just say, from, from Newcastle. Was your parents always from the area? Yes, and still are. Yeah, uh, Merriweather, um, around the Merriweather uh, Bar Beach area. Yeah. yeah. And your dad was obviously a keen surfer being a surfboard shaper now. What was he like on the board? Yeah, dad was pretty good. Um, dad's one of those people that just really talented with their hands he's um he uh really good at bespoke kind of high-end furniture joinery wow. timber joinery um making surfboards anything he kind of took his hand to um in on that creative side he's just been incredible at so that's kind of his passion more than actually riding boards he just loves okay. making them and yeah. the process of creating things he's he's definitely a creator it's even to this day, he has a uh, really incredible workshop at his house and just builds the most incredible furniture. Yeah. Do you still remember the first time that you grabbed the board and went out there? Yeah, I do. Um, I was lucky enough that I had brand new board from my dad. Yeah. Um, you know, messed around on... on not, there wasn't really boogie boards when I first started, but there was... Uh, foamies and uh surfer planes and stuff like that and then then moved on to a surfboard and um kind of, dad kind of scared me a little bit out of it i took me out in probably surf that was a little too big to start with yeah and kind of that was when i was about eight what beach was that uh it was at bar beach just the other end of okay. merriweather beach and he kind of scared me a little bit and i kind of backed off for a couple of years yeah. and then you know started hanging out with my cousins because they moved and lived right on the beach there at uh, dixon park and just got back into got back into it and never looked back from then so around you know 11 or 12 was when i just went okay yeah this is i was hooked for good yeah is that when the kind of competition at the junior level started yeah i was surfing with my cousins and um you know Going to the beach every afternoon and every morning, you know, before, before school. And, um, and then I didn't really compete too much and just was surfing and surfing. And dad just came home one day and went, Oh, do you want to go in the Newcastle titles, you know? And I was like, Oh, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, let's do that. And ended up getting second in my first event. Nice. And then, was um, that we know competing with you? Uh, uh, Nicky Wood yeah. was someone that, was a great surfer from Merriweather that he won that uh that one and then obviously from then on I just started going um you know join the Mary of the Surfboard Club and they have uh contests uh at the first Sunday of every month okay. so I started competing in them as well and that was pretty much the start was that a big thing because I know there was the Merriweather Surf Club that you just was that a big thing about getting good quickly, like the competitive? Yeah, like the rest of the world is very jealous in the surfing community of the structure of the surf surfboard clubs. Uh, a lot of people call themselves board riders, but Merriweather, Merriweather we call ourselves a Merriweather Surfboard Club. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really shaped Australian surfing and why we have so many world champions uh, from Australia is because it's a, just a family kind of competitive orientated feel that you know you, you go and compete and everyone's on the beach and someone's on the barbecue cooking sausage sandwiches and then you know the the older people are judging and the young kids get to surf heats and and um and you know it's just a very really good family environment and you know the rest of the world doesn't have them 
And we always scratch our heads, why? Why don't you guys take on with this? Something so simple. Yeah, and it has really... It has really uh, put a backbone into Australian surfing and, and mm. mates, you know, like Mark Richards, even when he was winning world titles, used to come down and surf in the Mirror of the Ball Club contests and yeah. give the likes of myself, Matt Hoy, Simon Law, a go at the guy that was winning at the highest level of the sport and yeah. you'd have him in, in your heat. So that stuff really helped all of us, you know, to aspire to be a, a professional surfer and... I think MR is one of the main reasons there's so many good, like so many professional surfers that have been successful out of um, Newcastle, Merriweather. What's it like when you're surfing with your hero? Because do you just full respect? You don't talk smack, nothing. You just get out of his ways. Is that? How um, it yeah, there was an aura around him that he just, you know. Plus, it was just <laughs> outsmarting us or throwing us a dummy or you know whatever. But. Yeah. You know, you'd just be like, how did he get every good wave? And you just turn around and watch him just destroy the waves. And, you know, he'd get beat every now and again, yeah. but just, you know. And uh, What would the feeling be like for the person that beat him? He's like a grandfather. Yeah, I remember beating much. him in a semi-final once when I was in the Mary of the Board Club when I was only about 16, yeah. and it took every part of anything I had to, to get him, and he probably had the worst heat he probably had ever had in a Mary of the Board Club comp, but How many people did got you it done. It? But, yeah, well, it's, yeah, well it's, everyone, it's, everyone sees it, and, and, you know, or the club does, but... You know, we were we were aspiring at that time, and for Mark to come down and um, do that, I've you know I've, I'm forever grateful. Yeah, because it would have made you better just simply being around that. Do you believe in that kind of? You get better by being around absolutely people. Yeah, yeah, I think that the people you hang around, the influences you have, are so important to your success. Yeah, who was that kind of big mentor for you when when you were kind of growing up and trying to decide whether you wanted to be a professional surfer? Um, there was a lot of people, a lot of people around the mirror of the book, surfboard club. Mm. Uh, my parents were always, always really, uh, supportive by just, they never really pushed me into doing anything unless I was doing something wrong, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they never were like, you know, until, as I mentioned before, until I was around 16 and it was like a decision make, you know, you're having fun doing this, but sooner or later it's got to get serious. Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of people around that time. A lot of my dad's friends, too. Yeah. Used to hang out with a lot of the guys and used to take me surfing, um, the guys that worked in my dad's surfboard factory. And then... Um, Did you have to work in the, the surf shop at all? Uh, I used to fix things yeah. for, the, for the factory, and I used to come in on, uh, on some days and clean the factory. But uh, Dad didn't really like me being around the factory too much because of the toxic resins okay. and stuff like that. Um, it was really weird. He just, I, re- I really had an interest in it and pushed a few times to be in there, but um, he didn't like me being there just because it's, yeah, pretty toxic. Guys, just a quick break in today's episode. I just want to bring you a quick preview of our last episode, and that was with Big Wave surfer Ryan Hipwood. We had a great chat, and here's a quick preview from the show. I'm not going to say that I don't get scared yep. and that you don't get afraid because... Uh, I feel like your body and your mind needs that to, to keep you alive. Um, I feel like where things started turning for the better for me was when I just realized what these signals were and how it works and, and why they're there. Um, and then obviously believing in yourself enough 
that it's going to be fine if something does, you know, does go bad, which, you know, it, it usually does, you know. Yeah. It's pretty rare that you go out to surf big waves and everything's perfect. So, um, but once you've done the work and the preparation and everything's in, in a line, you, your boards are great, you're wearing the best inflatable vest, you've got a backup in case those inflatable vests don't work, like flotation, so you know if you black out, you are going to come up at some point. You've got someone on surface that you know that is going to be able to resuscitate you if you do drown. Yeah. Um, you've got backups where, you know, they can fly you into the beach and there's a car there that can take you to a hospital or call for an, a chopper or something like that. Um, if you tick all those little boxes and you, and the easy, then there's just the easiest part, which is actually going out and enjoying the moment and surfing. So please go back and check out the episode with Ryan. If you're well into your surfing, we've had plenty of the guys on in recent weeks. Mark Matthews have come on, Richie Vass, and also Mark Ocalupo. We should have, we've got a couple more in the pipeline ahead for this year. So please, if you haven't yet, you can subscribe for free via iTunes, Stitcher, or Overcast, or find all the show notes and all the episode guides, which you can listen through at www.talkingwithtk.com. If you've got access to iTunes, please help me grow the show. Best way is to leave me a review. So please jump on, and I'll continue to bring all these amazing guests out. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. Yeah, so 16, you decide that you want to have a, a real crack at this. You know, mate, getting sponsors, especially for a 16-year-old, is not an easy thing to do. How did you manage kind of learning the business side of things? Um, I was always, you know, I sat around with mum and dad owning a surf shop and uh, passing through reps for all the brands of, uh, you know, Rip Curl, Quicksilver, Billabong. Yeah. These guys used to come and hang out at our house and I used to sit around and be interested in listening to them talk business with my mum and dad. I used to, uh, you really show an interest. I didn't just go and watch TV or something. I used to just hang on the side and listen yeah, to what they were talking about and wanted to know what was going on and what was the next best thing and the next best product because yeah. I, was, I was, you know, by that time I was fully hooked as a surfer and wanted to be a pro surfer. So I was lucky that all that stuff was at just at an arm's length so that stuff always interests me even you know before i left school yeah look who was your first sponsor uh my first real sponsor was a company called sunbreaker which was a board short brand that was out of the u.s and a friend of my dad's um john bore used to bring it into australia i was with them for a little bit of time and then i ended up uh with billabong through Gordon Merchant and yeah, uh, yeah and was with them, for them oh, for about 26 years. Yeah, you also got to work for them as well. Yeah, I was lucky enough when I retired, they got, yeah, well, that was the main reason I decided to retire. There was an offer of a job as a marketing manager for Australasia. Yeah, do you still remember the first time that you met Gordon? Yeah, I do. Yeah, Gordon was amazing when we were young. He would always take us surfing, you know, I'd fly to the, be a contest on the Gold Coast and I'd fly to the Gold Coast and he'd pick you up and you'd stay at his house. He was very hands-on with the younger surfers to make sure that we were looked after and um, and that we were, you know, there was some supervision there, I guess. And, uh, yeah, like, you know, I know he did the same for Oki and Gary Green and a lot of the early guys that, you know, uh, Gordon really had a pure interest in... in um, 
in in becoming all of us becoming a better surfer and becoming world champions. Yeah, you obviously were really loyal to Billabong for a long, long time. You know, there's some other brands out there. There's Rip Curl, there's Quicksilver. What was it with Billabong that made you attracted to that? Uh, it was real family orientated. Yeah. Um, you know, Gordon. He's a very passionate surfer to this day, and like we go to Hawaii, and Gordon would just go and rent a big house, so we had somewhere to stay, yeah. you know, and that we'd all be surfing, and you know, he'd make sure we're all fed, and make sure that uh, we all had good boards, and you know, he's he's a shaper back in the day, so he'd always be checking out your boards to make sure you had the right surfboards, yeah, and um, yeah, so it was pretty interesting. Um, he was generally interested in the purely the the basics of you being at your best yeah did he also connect with your family and things like that um yeah he did definitely um he was always uh you know not not so not so much directly but um he had a reputation of looking after us all and and my dad knew him quite well because uh, i think my mum was like his first ever account in new south wales for okay. billabong yeah when he first started, when he was driving up and down the coast, um, selling board shorts out of his car. Mm. My mum and Egan Surfboards uh, was the name of our shop, and, yeah, mum was his first account. Yeah, I, uh, through Gordon and Billabong again, I was uh, 17, and he took me to Japan and, uh, and America, and uh, that was my first taste of traveling and going to the world tour events. And um, didn't do very good in those events, but managed to impress a few people and impress Gordon enough that he thought I was good enough to maybe start pursuing mm. at that level. Because your style's quite interesting too, because you're goofy foot too, aren't you? Yep. Yeah. Like, and also, you've got a big build com- compared to a lot of other surfers. Did you think that was an advantage or disadvantage for you? In bigger ways, it's an advantage. Uh, It can be a disadvantage in ways when it's smaller. Mm -hmm. But as long as you're agile, you know, even on the tour, I did a lot of work to keep myself agile and keep myself light-footed. And, yeah, there was a lot of stuff I had to do to make sure being a bigger guy. But um, if you can be agile on a wave and be a bigger set guy, it's actually to your advantage because you have so much more power than the smaller guys. Yeah. And that's what I kind of focused on a lot um, is trying to make my power and size as an advantage. Yeah, like in terms of prep, like preparation for an event, so for example, we're at Kiama today. Yeah. In the weeks leading up to the Kiama, we'll just use Kiama as an example, would you be surfing a lot of Kiama in the lead up? Not necessarily, you know, not necessarily this beach, but around, say, you know, where wherever I was at that time, if there was a beach that was similar. Definitely, you'd go and surf that style of wave. Um, yeah, we'd travel, uh, or you'd travel to places that you know that was similar, and you know, ride those boards to get ready and make sure that stuff was all prepared for sure. Yeah, and yeah. part of the prep, you know, we obviously have to surf and surf and surf to get good at surfing. But how much actual time during a week would you spend in the gym? Would you have to do some running? How would that all kind of come together? Um, it all. I usually based it, and I think a lot of guys still do, and forecast permitting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we cannot organise the waves like uh, like a lot of things. So when there's surf, you surf, yep. and when there isn't, you're in the gym and doing other stuff to to uh, you know 
keep you fit and keep you on the ball. Um, so the best, you know, the best training for surfing is surfing. surfing yeah. But unfortunately, it's not always good surf to surf in. So yeah, that was that's still the way it kind of kind of goes. Um, you know, some of my athletes. I hold them back the week before and just get them to stay in the gym and stay training a little bit to, just to get keen to get back in the water, yep. just to create that keenness and enthusiasm to be back on the board and, and back surfing. Yeah, who are you coaching at the moment? I coach uh, Connor O'Leary. Yep. Connor had a fantastic year and, um, and got Rookie of the Year for his first year fantastic. on the World Tour. Yep. And the last uh, 18 months or so, I, uh, I'd been coaching uh, Courtney Conlog as well. Yeah, who, she, she finished fourth in the world, had four more heats to win for the year to win the world title, but unfortunately couldn't get it together in, uh, in one of those last heats in Maui. Yeah, that was a very hectic sort of last event, wasn't it? How many people, was there like six yeah. or seven of the girls that could have... Yeah, there was about six of them that could win the world title in Maui this year. And um, yeah, Stephanie Gilmore pretty much schooled them. And um, and surfed so amazingly to win the win the event, but yeah. uh, she because of everyone else's good performance, she she couldn't win the world title. Yeah. Luke, you know, at seventeen, you spoke about before about maybe not being that great, but you know people like Gordon backing you. At what age did you feel that you could really mix it up with the big boys? Um, my my passion was good waves and um, surfing. Uh, you know, it's traveling the with the world for good surf. I had to do put a lot of work in to um, to be good in smaller waves. You know, my size and and um, and uh, yeah, little waves to me were more difficult to surf than than bigger waves. But uh, yeah, so you know, I, I managed to do pretty good through that time. But um, when the strategy of the World Tour changed probably halfway through my career and they created what they called the dream tour and we went to just A-grade wave locations. That was when I kind of really got into a place of my own and, and started getting good results consi- consistently. How old were you then? I would have been about my mid, early to mid-20s. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they changed the whole, the whole thing, which was, yeah, it just had to happen. Is the best thing that ever happened to the sport as well. Yeah, what was it like, kind of? Because I'm, I'm assuming that you all become really good mates. Some of you, like obviously Parker, I saw Parker was one of your groomsmen. So obviously you forged some really great friendships along the way. What was it like, especially in your twenties, to be able to travel the world with all the boys? Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, at, at that age, it was just incredible to uh, you know be rubbing shoulders with Oki and uh, Gary Green and um, you know Tom Carroll, yeah. Sean Thompson. All these guys still today are really good friends, and um, yeah, just being able in those circles, you know, just lifted your your level and your performances, and um, and your will and, and know how uh, so so much. It was fantastic. Even I even scratch myself now that I've you know some of those guys are you can call good mates, and you know they they're still my hero. Special thanks to today's sponsor, the Cabinet House. If you're looking to upgrade your bathroom or kitchen, it could be run down, old, or like I said, looking to upgrade, check out the range at the Cabinet House. They are led by a close personal friend, Rodney Hawken, whose range of styles, quality of work, and service is second to none. So check out their range online now at www.thecabinethouse.com.
www.aussie.com.au. Next on the podcast, we've got an absolute Aussie legend in marathon champion Steve Monaghetti. And here's a quick preview for next week. Well, I was surprised, to be honest. And what happened was it was it's funny how, you know, I, I never it's, it must seem strange. I never really thought of it like this, but I, I never really controlled my destiny. I mean, there's a great example of my coach sort of suggesting I should run the marathon. I never really thought about it. And then uh, I then on the back of my bronze medal at the Commonwealth Games, Athletics Australia pre-selected me to go to the world championships the next year. I went to Rome and I finished fourth in the world. So my second marathon, I finished fourth in the world. And that got me pre-selected to go to the Olympics. So it was only my third marathon. And I was in 88, I was off to the Seoul Olympics. So it was almost like other people were making the choices. If you had said to me, your first marathon is going to be Com Games and then you're going to run so well there, you're going to be off to the Worlds next year and that's going to set you up for the Olympics, I'm, I'm begun. Tristan, you need to see a doctor. You're crazy. That's not going to happen. <laughs> So, guys, be on the lookout for that one. Only way not to miss it is to subscribe, which is for free via iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or you can find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. If you haven't yet, please leave me a review. It just helps me grow and reach more people. You can do that. Just jump onto your iTunes on your desktop or your phone. Search Talking With TK. There is a review section and you can do that in literally 20 to 30 seconds. So please, that will help me and just helps me bring on all these major guests. All right, guys, now back to the show. What was it like to surf against Kelly Slater? Kelly's a perfectionist and so competitive, but more so he's just never, uh, he's never satisfied with his own performance. I read something recently, and it was a quote from him describing him and he was like, oh, he's, uh, he's will to get better and he's will to improve. It's probably his best um, quality yep. and his worst because he'd never let up. Even when it was done, he'd never let up. And, you know, life, life's priorities would change just to make sure that he did get better and he just yep. kept going. So you know, now that he's a little older and he's coming to the end of his competitive career, his, his surfing career is well intact. You know, even when he does hang up the jersey, he'll still, we'll still see some great surfing from Kelly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was interesting. That was one of the best uh, quotes from Kelly I'd heard, a description like that. It was like, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, we know when you're growing up and you're playing footy or you're playing soccer or something, and there's always the good kid in the team, and you, there's a bit of an aura about that. Did you get that sort of similar feeling when you were competing against Kelly? Yeah, for sure. Kelly... Um, just amazing at adapting to everything that was in front of him and um you know he he pushed he's pushed all of us further too Mm. you know i probably you know i had not a bad record surfing against him but he'd lift me so much when i when i would compete against him and um you know he did so much for the sport when he became the superstar he did Mm. it's just you know we all can't thank him enough to to what he did and um, and what he's doing, you know, like now it's uh, him being that kind of personality and being so determined to do what he did and what he's doing, you know, like right now he's he was determined to make wave pools and he's just made one yeah. of the best waves in the world and it's going to... Have you been yet? Yeah, I have. It's incredible. It's, uh, it's going to take surfing inland and, you know, probably 
grow the sport even more and help the industry as well. Yeah, how much was mind games play when you were out there in the surf with others? Yeah, uh, Kelly or Kelly in general. Yeah, like any sport, a bit of sledging, bit of uh, you know, <laughs> bit of aggro, bit of uh, you know, bit of just making sure that you were, you know, in in each other's mind. There's a lot of it, and there still is. Does it get heated? It can. It doesn't as much as it used to. Yeah. It used to get a lot more heated than it than it does now. But um, yeah, everyone wants to win. The thing about surfing, though, that it can go down in the water. It can get a bit scrappy in the water. But when you step on the beach, I, I never competed against anyone at all that didn't leave it. Um, didn't leave it on the leave it in the water and um, walk up the beach and shake your hand. Yeah, you know your first. That's all right. Just leave it. Your first tour win. You know you've done four in your career. Take me through the first one that you won on tour. Yeah, first one was in G Land in Indonesia in Java. Um, that was one of the first events that became the dream tour, you know, going to the exotic locations with A-plus waves and taking the world's best there was the change for the ASP at that time. And that wasn't the first time it was there. It was there for two or three years beforehand, I think, two, 95, 96, and I won in 97. Okay. That was the first one I won, and that was probably um, the start of, uh, yeah, kind of a second half of my career and, and the waves being in good waves and the time I was travelling a lot with Mark Ocalupo too, he was just on um, his comeback and uh, yeah, he taught me a lot through that time too, I was uh, pretty lucky to have him I was there to help him out and get back on his feet and get back on the tour and uh, yeah, and I think at the same time he, he helped me a lot. Yeah, cracking through and getting that first win, how much did that just do for your confidence? Yeah, for sure, especially in good waves. Um, I was always a threat to win an event in good waves. Um, so to finally get one in, yeah, the waves were absolutely amazing too throughout that event. So, yeah, it did give me more confidence and um, and it did uh, it did show me I could do it. That year that you got your second place, what was the feeling like? Because second place is such a big achievement, especially with the quality of surfers around the world. But at the same time, you're probably disappointed that you didn't come first. How does how'd you handle that? You know, uh, my runner-up year against uh, Sonny Garcia, I was I had a lot of points to make up, and um, and Sonny kind of had a big lead on me the whole time. So I never really got that close that it felt like it was mine to lose. Yeah, and you guys didn't uh, really surf against each other at all. No, we were number one and number two seed for pretty much half the back end of the year or three quarters of the year. But I could never gain on Sonny because I'd make the quarters, he'd make the semis. I'd make the semis, he'd make the quarters. So I needed him to lose in the first round and win an event. I think I had to do that and then maybe that halfway again to actually be there right with him on the points. Yeah. So even though finishing runner-up in the world, it didn't feel like it was mine to lose, so it didn't really affect me too much. Do I wish I won a world title in my career? Absolutely. And do I think about it time to time? Absolutely. But during that time of going through through it, it just never felt like mine to lose. It was, it was uh, sorry, Sonny's to lose and... And I had a couple of results to get before it was like, okay, I'm I'm taking you on for this. Yeah. The year against uh, 
the year against Andy Irons actually hurt a little more because we're a little closer. Yeah. I got it to the second last event of the year and um, I actually finished third that year because uh, Joel Parkinson had to make the semi-finals at the Pipeline Masters to pass me because yeah. I lost early and he did. So I was second to Andy Irons for his first world title the whole year. And um, I had a couple of opportunities. I got a little closer than what I did to Sonny Garcia when I actually did come second. Yeah, any Irons was, was a great mate of yours because I see that you're even wearing his hat. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship and what kind of Andy meant to you? Yeah, Andy was a really close mate, as he was with Joel Parkinson and Oki. Um, we were all surfing for Billabong. And, um, yeah, we're just good mates. Um, at the time of his passing, he did come and live with my house for a couple of years on the, when I was living in Tweed Heads on the Gold Coast. And, uh, yeah, we were helping him getting it, get out of his bad circles that he was in in Hawaii and just trying to help him get back on track. And I, at the time, I was working and coaching Joel Parkinson, working for Joel, Joel Parkinson. And it was Joel's call to get him out of Hawaii and get him back on track. And he did. He ended up getting back together and winning Chopu with that formula of uh, working with Joel and I. Yeah. So that was uh, that was great to be part of his comeback. And he did get himself, uh, you know, back on track and and um, and winning events. Yeah, you know, you spoke about you know coaching Parker. You know, that's a big step to go from competitive surfing to then really coaching you know one of Australia's great surfers as well. How did that kind of opportunity first eventuate? Uh, Paco and I are best mates and uh, I retired from the tour and um, I just, I, I could see plain as day there were a few things, what he needed to do to achieve uh, better performances yeah. and um, you know we were both with Billabong and um, yeah we put it, well I put it to Joel just, just, let's just do a couple of events and see if I can help you out and just be an extra set of eyes and ears on the beach and see if it works and he won the first three events undefeated, <laughs> putting us putting us together. So that was that was an awesome time. It was great to be part. He won uh, the Quicksilver Pro, then he won Bell's Beach, and then there was a gap there, and then he went and won Jay Bay. Yeah, coaching him. What is it? Is it you guys analysing tape? Is it you two surfing together? How does that work? Uh, a lot of everything, like um, helping him with equipment, what to ride. Um, Technically, what what turns to do where, um, positioning his body on his board, um, just lots of little things that Joel is very good at taking on, and being being good mates made made it so much easier to to for him to absorb what I was telling him. Yeah, celebrations were good, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it was a great time, and Joel taught me a lot of um, what I needed to be to actually be a coach um, and uh, he was at a time of his career too that he was like okay I'm, I'm going to get myself a world title I want to get one so I was lucky enough to be around at that time when he got very determined and um, put a lot of effort in to achieve a world championship yeah what's your mindset like when you're speaking to the people that you coach now because obviously they're very they're a lot younger than you but for what you achieved you top five five times so you're so close what sort of things do you say to them in terms of kind of taking their opportunities because by the looks of it you might not always get an opportunity to win a world title 
Yeah, for sure. You know, there's there's uh, there's only one winner, and there's a lot of you know everyone's a loser. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't sound good when you say it like that, <laughs> but true. Uh, it's true. And uh, it's you know you got to go out and just there's there's so many little things that you need to um, you need to tick the boxes for. It's, it's never really at this level and at the elite level. It's never one big thing that sticks out it's just really trying to neat, get neat and tidy on every little every little thing you know and um you just got to keep pushing and chipping away and believing in yourself but um you know as a coach i feel the biggest and most difficult job is articulating at the right time because we're there to critique and to tell them what they're doing wrong so that and then tell them how to do it right so for me it's implementing that but keeping him with a positive attitude you know all day long you're critiquing him and then you got to try and keep him on a positive um on a positive mindset to compete well so for me it's just trying to deliver everything so that feel they feel good about that delivery of what they should improve and how they should improve it i think uh keeping everything upbeat is very important when you see something obvious, you know, you just spoke about having to critique and change some of the things they do. Are you kind of going into it very softly and trying to just change it gradually? Or is it one thing you just just open it up and say, you are not doing this right? How's that? What's your approach there? Um, one of my, I'd call him a mentor. He's, the guy's name is Bill Nelson. He was a swimming coach for Australia and now has a, com- uh, a business for himself for, called, I think it's Total Performance. And it's about the mind and how to process things and everything. And I still work with, with Bill to this day. And uh, he taught me to really just make sure that you process things well and that you um, and that you make sure that, uh, you know, in coaching, he's taught me that uh, try and get them to answer the question mm. and, and you not tell them. So, uh, you know, make sure that uh, you can kind of maybe turn it around so they give you the answer rather than you just giving them the answer. Ask them a couple of questions and get them to actually say what they should be doing rather than you saying it. Just little things like that that I really I, I really focus a lot on that to keep, keep it upbeat because one thing is uh, having a great athlete, but at this level, at the elite level, it's like... On, on the day of competition, it's so much more their mind than actually their talent. Their talent got them there, and now their mind's going to have to get them the win. Yeah. How long did it take for you to feel comfortable as a coach? Um, there's still uncomfortable times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, you, it takes a while to realise that uh, I, I, I was successful for a long, long, uh, a long career. And, and that many times going back to all these locations and surfing time and time again in all the different conditions, you've got a lot of intel there that these uh, younger surfers that haven't maybe been around there to all these places as many times as I have, there's a lot of intel there so that they can accelerate um, the learning. And with Connor, that was one of the biggest things this year was just giving him as much intel as I possibly could to, to fast track him and learn all the different locations. Yeah. With surfing, 
you know, it's one thing being good riding a wave, but you have to be excellent at, at, at reading the ocean, the tides, the forecasts, uh, the, the swell directions, the winds. All this stuff is, is a huge part of being a professional surfer and a successful one. Yeah. Luke, how do you actually get good at reading the, reading the waves and, you know, all that sort of behind the yeah, stuff? Yeah, just, just living on that coast and, like... You know, you can feel you can feel the wind going to change a couple of minutes before it changes. Once you, you know, yeah, yeah, you did yeah, it before yeah. the car park. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. could feel that subtly. I, just the way that it stopped. Yeah, you know, I could just feel that uh, there was a little change in temperature, and yeah. then you could feel that the wind just just uh, fell over a little bit. Just stuff like that. You know, just that comes with experience of living on the coast and. I generally have an interest in the weather <laughs> because, you know, the right weather combination and we've got pumping surf. So all my life as, as a kid, it's just like, oh, okay, you know, well, we're going to get a, you know, to make great surf, you need a combination of good wind, good tide, good yeah. swell and swell direction. So all those things, we're always just, um, you know, scanning the internet and making sure that all these forecasts are coming together. And yeah, that's, it's kind of a... It's probably like even a fisherman, you know, you need all these to go to your favourite fishing hole, I guess, or, or, you know, so many combination of things have to come good to even find and scout out good waves. Well, Luke, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Before I let you go, contact, I know you've got your online site, lukeegan.com.au, and you're also on Instagram, Luke Egan, correct? Yeah, that's correct, yeah, and, uh, yeah, thanks so much, it's been good, and, um, yeah, cool. Thank Guys, that was Luke Egan. We hope you enjoyed that episode. If you can do me a favor, if you loved that episode, please share it with even just one member of your family or one of your friends. Please tag me on any posts. If you do share it on social media, I'm at Talking with TK across my Twitter, across my Facebook, and you'll find me on Instagram at Tristan Nell. I would love for you to get in touch, or you can send me an email at Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Guest suggestions or any suggestions for the show, please send them through. Now, next up, guys, like I did mention during the show, it is Steve Monaghetti. We're also going to be starting to introduce some international guests. So during the week, I actually recorded with six times Mr. Olympia, Dorian Yates. He's an absolute legend, not only bodybuilding, but he's doing so much just around the world, coaching, speaking, and He's just quite the interesting fella. So we're going to start introducing some international guests. I've got a few in the pipeline that you're really, really going to love. Also, with the NRL and rugby season coming up, I've been recording with plenty of the fellas up ahead, and I've been pretty busy. We've got Dean Mum, Saya Fainga, we've got Monty Beetham, Mark Coyne, and the West Tigers, Tim Grant. So spread the word for me, guys. If you love your NRL and rugby, during the season, there's going to be plenty of the boys coming on, so stay tuned for that. Best way, like I said, is to subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher or Overcast or find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. All right, guys, that's it for this week. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking With TK.